we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take the Bible and go with me into the New Testament to the book of Philippians. Uh, we'll come to Philippians chapter 4 once again. And uh, we have been noting the theme, Stand Fast in the Lord, as we've been looking at Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. And uh, as we have noted already, we're to stand fast in our partnership. We do not stand alone. We stand together. We stand in the power and strength of the Lord, and he stands with us. And we stand and are exhorted to stand because we're living in a day when pressures and temptations and trials that we face uh, seem at times to us insurmountable. And uh, the temptation is to fall, to stumble. But God has encouraged us to stand in these days and stand firmly. That's what the word stand fast means, to stand firm. And so we stand fast in partnership together, not alone. We stand fast in praise, rejoicing in the Lord. We stand fast, as we noted uh, recently, in uh, propriety, and that means in our behavior, that it would be appropriate. Let your moderation, verse 5, be known. And then in verse 6, we saw to stand fast in prayer. And then this morning in verse number 7, we note that we're to stand fast in peace, in peace. And so let's read these verses together, and uh, then we'll note some things as we move forward. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, <clears throat> excuse me, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Notice again, if you would, please, in verse number 7, the Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray together as we ask for the Lord's blessing upon his word today. Our Father, we do thank you for the privilege that we have once again 
to enter into thy presence, to be seated together with you in heavenly places, to come around your word and to hear your voice. I pray the Holy Spirit would give us understanding. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me with yourself, enable me and empower me to say what you want said to the hearts of your people. And then we pray, O Father, that you would help us to respond in obedience to your word. May we be encouraged and instructed and strengthened from it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says in verse number 7, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We understand that this peace is connected, uh, in particular here, to verse number 6, to our prayer, that we are not to be troubled or anxious about anything. The Bible says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We have the opportunity to bring our, our wants, our desires, our needs, our requests to the Lord and offer them to him. And may God help us to be faithful. That verse has been on my heart and mind uh, this week as I've thought more and more of it. Let your requests be made known unto God. And I found myself uh, just taking those simple thoughts that come to me, those needs uh, that uh, come across my life, my heart, my mind, and bringing those needs to God. I have found myself more aware of those needs and more conscious of those needs, and more importantly, not being conscious of those needs, but more importantly, understanding that I'm to bring those needs to my Heavenly Father. And as a result of that, as I'm standing fast in partnership with my brothers and sisters and in praise, learning to rejoice in the Lord always, and in propriety, letting my moderation be known, and then in prayer, uh, as I make my requests known unto God, there is a result that will be experienced in my life, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I can live in peace. There's much to be troubled about in our world, and in recent days, I have, as we have uh, gone through this study, I've I've read to you many quotes and re recited a number of statistics uh, concerning uh, the angst and anxiety and fears and concerns of people in our nation today and in our world. I don't feel the need to enumerate those again to you. I think we're all very aware of them, and uh, we know that. Uh, we're told by uh, many who are students of psychology and psychiatry that uh, the holidays bring on uh, a, a level of stress in the lives of people. And, and of course, we miss our loved ones who have gone on. And uh, these holidays then that we're to enjoy oftentimes can become uh, quite troubling for many people. The Bible tells us that we who know the Lord have something the world does not have. We have peace. We have, number one, peace with God, and number two, we have the peace of God. You cannot have, by the way, the peace of God until you possess peace with God. We'll talk about that in just a little bit, but I, I want us, as we note this passage and we think of the peace of God, I want to give you three defining characteristics of the peace of God. 
three defining characteristics of the peace of God. And may God help us to stand fast in this peace. Now, number one, I want you to see that it is uh, the surpassing peace. It is surpassing peace. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at it. Notice, first of all, in verse 7, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding. It is surpassing peace. Now, it is so because, first of all, it is the peace of God. The peace of God is not what we would refer to as natural peace. I think it would be better defined this way. It is supernatural peace. It is a peace that is beyond or exceeding the powers or laws of nature. It is a miraculous peace. It is a peace that uh, is beyond human comprehension. It cannot be explained. And the source of that peace, as supernatural, of course, is the Lord. He is the author of peace. And you see, this peace is available to us then only through the Lord. There is no medicine uh, that can supply it. There is no treatment that can provide it. There is no circumstance that you and I wish to live in that can secure it. This peace comes to us uh, quite often in the midst of difficult circumstances. It is the peace of God. Uh, John MacArthur notes in his commentary, he says, the peace of God transcends human intellectual powers, human analysis, human insights, and human understanding. It is superior to human scheming, human devices, and human solutions. Since its source is God, whose judgments are unsearchable and his ways past finding out, it is experienced in a transcendent calm that lifts the believer above the most debilitating trial. Since it is a supernatural work, it resists any human comprehension. In other words, the peace of God is beyond anyone's ability to, to really uh, understand it because it often comes to us in times of great trial and affliction, it, it secures us and it holds us up. It strengthens us in the midst of the weakness of our infirmities. He goes on to say the real challenge of the Christian life is not to eliminate every unpleasant circumstance. Well, that's certainly what we would like to do. Whether it be, you know, I, I, I wish I was out of this marriage. I wish I was out of this job. I, I wish I didn't live next to these people. I, I wish my kids would behave differently. I, I, and, and there are many, many circumstances that we would wish to change if we had the power to change them. He goes on to say, the real challenge of the Christian life is not to eliminate every unpleasant circumstance. It is to trust in the good purpose of our infinite, holy, sovereign, powerful God in every difficulty. That means with those circumstances that we wished were different, instead of trying to figure out how to change them or manipulate them or just simply 
wear away in anxiety that we're having to endure them. He says we can choose to trust God in them. And we can draw upon the peace of God which passes all understanding. Now, a great example of this is Job, is it not? In Job chapter 1, the Bible says that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and the devil came with them. These are the angelic beings, and they're accountable to God. And so Satan comes to present himself before the Lord, and the Lord asks, where have you been? He said, I've been going to and fro in the earth. And the Lord asked him a question, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan had a, a ready answer. He said, doth Job fear God for naught? He said, Lord, you, you put a hedge about him. You've taken care of him. You've blessed his flocks, his farm. I mean, everything's going great. His family, it's all wonderful. No wonder he serves you. But if you touch what he has or if you allow me to, he'll curse you to his face, to your face rather. So the Lord allows him to do so. And as we read in Job chapter number one, we find there was a day when Job lost everything he possessed. All of his flocks and all of his herds were all taken in different places. They were kept at different properties. And uh, one by one, messengers came all within the same moment of time to tell him the news. And then finally, the worst news of all came. Your children were a gathering and they died in a storm. The house fell upon them. Here was Job's response in Job chapter 1 and verse 21. Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. In other words, I, I had nothing until the Lord gave. And everything I had, I had because the Lord gave. And then he said, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, the circumstances don't change who God is. They don't change his nature or his goodness, his mercy, his love. Well, then Satan came later again into the presence of the Lord, and again Job's name was brought up, and again Satan said, well, if you will let me touch his body, I know he didn't curse you before, but if you let me touch his body, he'll curse you. I mean, it really didn't. I mean, it, it, it affected his pocketbook. It affected his heartstrings, but it didn't affect him. So just let me touch him, and, and, and I, I, I'm pretty sure, God, that he's going to curse you. So the Lord said, you can do so, but do not take his life. So the Bible tells us in Job chapter 2 and verse 7, so went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot into his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself with oil, and he sat down among the ashes. Job was smitten with a dreadful disease. More than just boils and sores, that was the prominent part of it. A dreadful disease. There was no comfort for him physically, emotionally. Verse 9, the Bible says of Job 2, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die. She said, Job, what in the world are you doing? I mean, here you are. Look at you. You're a mess physically, 
you're worn down. Our family is gone. Our farm, our finances, they're all gone. We've lost it all. Why don't you curse God and die? By the way, before we're too hard on Job's wife, that might have been the response of many of us going through such dreadful troubles. The Bible says that Job was a man who feared God. He was unlike any man on the earth in his devotion to God. And now here he is suffering like no man outside of the Lord Jesus perhaps ever suffered. Notice Job's response in Job 2 and verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. What was it that sustained him? It was the surpassing peace of God. It didn't make sense to the devil. <laughs> it didn't make sense to Job's wife, at least in the moment. It wouldn't have made sense to most of us. That's the peace of God. But I want to tell you that when it doesn't make sense, you can still have God's peace. It's surpassing peace. It's far greater than all the circumstances that you will ever endure. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Uh, second thing we find out about this peace, uh, second defining characteristic is that not only is it surpassing peace but it's sheltering peace it protects you from the enemy the bible says in verse 7 and the peace of god which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through christ jesus it's sheltering peace it keeps my heart and it keeps my mind what is keeping us from losing our mind well it's only the peace of god that may be the only thing holding you together at this moment. When it seems like everything in your world is coming apart, let me remind you that Jesus is on the throne. And God is at perfect peace. He's at perfect peace. Now, Satan is our enemy, who as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to disturb our peace, does he not? I, I just, in my notes, made four observations about how he can do so first of all he seeks to he desires rather to draw us away from the lord to to win the affections of our heart he wants to draw us away from the lord to cause us not to set our affection on things above but to set our affections on the things of this world I think a great example of that, of course, is Solomon, who as a young man prayed that God would give him wisdom and God answered his prayer. But then the Bible tells us that the wives of Solomon turned his heart from the Lord. His heart was turned away. He lived a life, and the book of Ecclesiastes documents this for us, he lived a life relatively or virtually apart from God in the sense that he did not walk with God on a daily basis. So he becomes an example for us of what it is to live life without God. And he accomplished and, and he, he, he enjoyed things to a level that no man has ever enjoyed them. And he, spe he speaks in, in chapter number one and two of his wisdom that he gained. 
But that wisdom apart from God left him disenchanted and unhappy and unfulfilled. He found out that there were too many crooked things that could not be straightened out. There were too many problems that could not be solved. And he said, oh, it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, I gave my heart to mirth, to wine, to enjoy the pleasures of life, but I found out this was vain too. And to women, but I found out that was vain. To wealth, to works, and this is how he concluded the statement in Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 17, therefore I hated life. All is vanity and vexation of spirit. You see, Satan desires to draw us away from our affection to Christ, to set our affection on the things of this world and to leave us empty and unfulfilled. And that is exactly where it will leave us. He wants to disturb our peace. Not only does he desire to draw us away, but he desires to discourage us and sadden our hearts. He wants to discourage us. That's exactly no doubt where Job's wife was. I mean, everything she had enjoyed up to that point was now gone, and now her husband sitting in a heap of ashes with a potsherd scraping the sores off his body the infection away from it. She was discouraged. No doubt, Job perhaps was discouraged. And here we find that Satan seeks to discourage us. He seeks to deceive us. That's the third thing. He desires to deceive, to deceive our hearts. And by the way, our hearts, the Bible says, are desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. He wants to draw us away from the truth and deceive us into thinking that, hey, we know more than God does. I can't tell you the number of times I've sat with people and give them biblical counsel, and I watch them in their minds. I can see it in their eyes. They're processing what I'm saying in the light of their circumstances, and here's often what they're concluding. If I were to do what the Bible says, then it's going to cost me this. Or, if I obey the Bible, that means I have to stay in this situation. If I obey God and I obey God's word, I can't do what I want to do. And then we make the judge or the, or the criteria of our decision-making based not upon the truth of God's word, but we deceive our own selves by thinking we know better than God does. Here's the fourth way he desires to disturb our peace, not only to draw us away, to discourage us, to deceive us, but to distort our minds, the thinking of our minds, to get us thinking like the world. That's why the Bible says that we must renew our mind. Renewing our minds. How are we to renew our minds? We are to saturate our mind and our heart in the truth of God's word, to think like the Lord, not like the world. You know, the world's thinking has permeated us so. We don't even recognize it today. But in our daily decision-making, the things we think we have to have or the things we think our children need are so at times adverse to the truth of God's Word. And may God help us to recognize it. You see, Satan does all of this to disturb the peace. Now, John Phillips describes for us the unshakable peace of God. 
He asked a question. I want to ask you this question. What can disturb God's peace? You see, we have an enemy trying to disturb our peace. So we need to recognize the fact that God's peace is in no way able to be disturbed because it is God's peace that we draw upon. So he asked the question, what can disturb God's peace? Could some happening in a remote part of the galaxy disturb his peace? Of course not. He's omnipresent, always on the spot. Nothing can take place behind his back. He's right there, no matter where, all the time. Could some diabolical thought of Satan disturb God's peace? Could some mystery, some obscure idea, some crafty twist of error, or some plot hatched in the demented soul of Lucifer to thwart God's beneficent purposes and bring new forms of suffering into the universe? Could that disturb God's peace? Of course not. God is omniscient. He knows all the wiles of the devil. Uh, and his infallible wisdom has anticipated and annulled every one of Satan's plans. Satan's deep counsels are just so much gibberish unto God, however clever and sophisticated they may seem to us. You know, we live in a world full of gibberish, don't we? Talk and talk and more talk. And we listen to it to the disturbing of our own peace. But God's peace is not disturbed. He goes on to say, can all the might of the gates of hell disturb God's peace? Of course not. He's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He can command galaxies and create atoms. He can toss stars into space and hold satellites whirling at inconceivable velocities on their orbits. There is no physical, moral, or spiritual power that he does not rule with consummate skill and tireless ease, not in heaven or earth or hell, not now or ever. Hey, nothing's more powerful than God. Nothing, he goes on to say, can ruffle the peace of God. It is a calm beyond all storms, a rest beyond all strife, a haven beyond all tempestuous seas. The peace of God is majestic and sublime. In Paul's day, was God upset by Nero? When that evil man burned Rome, blamed the Christians, and began a persecution rarely surpassed in history, did he take God by surprise? Did God hastily cut short the day of grace and summon Michael to usher in Armageddon then and there? No. His peace was undisturbed. All was foreknown. We do not know why God held back his hand then or why he holds it back now, but we'll understand it better by and by. The unfathomable peace of God who controls the universe and pursues a faultless purpose is the peace that Paul commended to his Philippian friends. Now think about it. The peace that God himself possesses can be imparted to you and I. Pretty amazing, isn't it? God doesn't wring his fists or bite his fingernails. He doesn't need Malox or a nerve pill prescription. He's at perfect peace. And this peace of God, the Bible says, when we have it, 
protects our hearts and minds because they're under attack. As I mentioned, Satan wants to disturb our peace. So how do we stay in the secure place of the peace of God? Well, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 26 and verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. So when I choose in the face of my circumstances to run to Jesus, to find my security and my protection in him, when I run into the shelter of his loving arms and I trust in the goodness and the power and the wisdom and the provision of God in the midst of my circumstances, the Bible said if I stay my mind on him, he will keep me in perfect peace. Many of you have been to the graveside and you've wept tears. And though you miss your loved one, you have peace. You're garrisoned by the peace of God. Many of you are dealing with circumstances, as I mentioned earlier, maybe at work, at home, or some financial concern, some health concern, and they're real concerns. They're important concerns to you. I want you to know they're concerns to God. But God wants to protect you and garrison you and strengthen you in the midst of those concerns as you stay your mind, not on the trouble, but on him. It's so easy, isn't it? And you think about Peter. He said, Lord, bid me to walk unto thee on the sea. And so Jesus said, come, and Peter stepped out of the boat, and he's walking to Jesus. And we know that as long as his eyes are on Jesus, he's okay, right? He's walking on the sea. A lot of criticism of Peter, but I don't read of anybody else doing that except Jesus. One day he's going to tell us what it was like, right? He's walking to Jesus, but all of a sudden, what happens? A gust of wind catches his face, and then he feels that cold rain pelting down upon him. And what does he do? He begins to look at the circumstances. And when he begins to look at the circumstances, he is overcome with fear, and he begins to sink down into the depths, and he cries out, Lord, save me. Well, just like Peter, I've fallen down into the depths, and many of you have fallen down into the depths too. And while we certainly need to be reminded not to take our eyes off Jesus, I'm glad that when I do, all I have to say is, Lord, save me. And he will. So if you find yourself sinking down in the depths of the wave, would you cry out to him this morning? Lord, save me. And then would you learn on your next walk? Keep your eyes on Jesus. And then you don't even have to sink. You see, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Phillips went on to write, between Paul and threatening circumstances stood a garrison. God's peace had him in custody. A great river of peace was thrown like a moat around the citadel of his soul. And so we see this peace. It is a surpassing peace. We, we can't comprehend it. 
in the face of our trials and difficulties, we possess it. It doesn't make sense. The world can't manufacture it. They can't prescribe it for us. It's beyond all human comprehension. It's, it's surpassing peace. And it's sheltering peace. It will protect us. It will keep us sane. It will keep us strong in the midst of trials. And then lastly, we note that it is a supplying peace a supplying peace. We live in a time where it's hard to imagine, but uh, you, you can't get things that you have been accustomed to getting. Uh, they tell me that if you need uh, an appliance today, they're hard to find. Some of you have been appliance shopping, and they're hard to find. Everything's on back order. Uh, we find out that there are cargo ships that are sitting off the coast just waiting to be unloaded and and there's all kinds of problems in manufacturing and shipping and getting things to the market in a timely fashion but i want you to know that this supply of peace has no interruptions it is always available to us the delivery comes every moment of every day now notice how it is transferred to us. Notice God's delivery method for this peace. And the peace of God, verse 7, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds, what's the next word? Through Christ Jesus. There's the supply. It comes to me and it comes to you through Christ Jesus. And it comes abundantly. There's more, there's more than you could ever need. There's no shortages. There's no back orders. Inventory is never low. There is an abundance of peace. And it is only available to us, however, through Christ Jesus. It doesn't come in the form of a pill. It doesn't come in any other way but through a person, the Lord Jesus. He is our supply. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 tells us, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That means he's sovereign over peace. He is uh, the giver of peace and the provider of peace. And if you want peace with God, then you have to come through Jesus, the Son of God. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible said, For he is our peace. Jesus came to provide peace for us. And the peace of God is transferred to us. It is offered to us. It is supplied to us through the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you see, when Jesus died on the cross, he made the payment for your sin and mine. Now, let me tell you what your sin did and my sin did. My sin and your sin declared war against God. 
when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, here's what they said. Lord, we do not want you to rule over us. Now, they didn't say that with their lips, but they said that in their heart when they despised the commandments of the Lord and obeyed their own lust. And you and I have said the same thing. Lord, we don't want you to tell us what to do. We don't want you to run our lives. We want to run it ourselves. You see, that rebellion is in us because of our sin. We are rebels against the king of the universe. And Jesus, the son of God, came and died for us. He shed his blood for us to make the payment for our sin so that we rebels could be restored into the right relationship with our heavenly father. You see, friend, you'll have no peace at all in your heart until you have peace with God. There will be no peace of God until you have peace with God. Do you have that peace this morning? Are you at peace with God? Do you know that if you died today that heaven is your home? There's only one way to come to faith and only one way to have that peace, and that is to trust in the name of Jesus, to confess your sin, to forsake it, to confess that Jesus is the Son of God and to receive him by faith. Now, if you have done that, then you can enjoy, you can draw on this supply, and you draw on it the same way you received it initially, through the person of Christ. Now, Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. It is a gift. You can't work it up. You can't earn it. You can't figure out how to get it. Remember, it passes all understanding. It is a gift. He said, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's a new variant out. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? I got some bad news for you. There's going to be variants of something for the rest of our lives. For the rest of our lives. Are we to live in trouble and fear? No, we're to trust in God. He's given us peace. John 16, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, God offers his children peace. We don't need to be troubled and afraid. But how do we draw on it? What are the practical implications of this truth? Because I know I can have peace through Christ, but how do I live in that peace? How do I actually experience it? Now, I have to have, of course, as I mentioned a moment ago, the peace of God. I have peace with him. I know my sins are forgiven. I'm in the right relationship with him. But I have to learn now to draw upon his peace every day so that I'm not troubled, so that I'm not anxious, so that I'm not worried all the time. Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Carnally minded is to think the thoughts of a natural man, to use human reasoning, okay? To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see, Adam, without the Spirit of God, thought the thoughts of a sinner, a carnal man. But when the Spirit of God came to dwell within him, the light that was extinguished when he sinned, that light came back on. 
And he began to think not only with human reasoning, but with the wisdom of God and the spirit of God. And so we find that to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If I'm in connection with God and his word, if I'm walking in the spirit, then I will enjoy the peace of God. Colossians 3 and verse 15. The Bible says this, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. If I ask you, uh, will you allow me or will you let me do this? I'm asking for your permission. You have to allow it before it can happen. And see, here's what we find. God in his word says, allow it. Let it happen. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. What did Job do? Was he not disturbed when he lost his farm? When he lost his finances, when he lost his family, when he lost his physical health, was he not disturbed? He must have been disturbed. What did he do? He allowed the peace of God to rule in his heart. What happened to Mrs. Job? She allowed the circumstances to rule, not the peace of God. You see, we make choices we make choices. News comes to us every day. We hear things every day that we don't like. We experience things. We encounter people. We deal with difficulties every day, and we have to choose in those difficulties to allow God's peace to rule. In Isaiah 48 and verse 18, the Lord, as he spoke to his people, said, Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments. Then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the ways of the sea. God said when he looked back at the, when he looked upon his people, he said, oh, how I wished that you had listened to me, that you had obeyed my commands, that you had hearkened to them because if you had, your peace would have been as a river. We sing that song, I got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. But the truth is oftentimes we don't, even though we sing it. We could have it if we would learn to trust and obey God. So John Phillips asked the question, how does this principle work? How can we hope to be garrisoned by God's peace? He says Philippians provides the answer. It is through Christ Jesus. We are not kept through our strength of will, nor through our sublime thinking, nor through our resolution of heart. Because we can't meditate and, you know, practice enough Zen to bring peace to our soul. No. This peace only comes to us through Christ Jesus. Years before, he writes, Paul had sent this glorious formula for living the Christian life to the believers in Rome, and now he is putting it to principle or putting the principle into practice as a prisoner in their midst. In other words, he's in a Roman prison when he's writing this. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. He's in a Roman prison. He could be facing an executioner. 
and he's writing this letter. How did Paul get the peace? It was through Christ. It was the Lord who brought this peace to earth. Through Christ Jesus was the secret of Paul's peace. God's peace was established in him by the indwelling Christ. Paul experienced the peace of God because Christ lived his life in Paul. Guess who he's living it in now? You. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He dwells in you. He is alive today, this morning, in you. So how do you experience the peace of God? You allow Christ to live in you. You allow Christ to rule in you. So you got some bad news today. What are you going to do with it? Wring your hands? Drink some Maalox? Stress about it? Fuss about it? Complain about it? No. Those things don't help, do they? Tell it to Jesus. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He does the work in you. He does it. It's his peace. Now think about his peace. Phillips went on to say, it was his peace that hushed the storm-tossed sea of Galilee and gave rest to the tormented soul of the Gadarene demoniac. That peace remained unshaken by conflict, criticism. His own family turned against him. Crisis. Lord, all these multitudes are here. There's nothing for us to feed them. That was a crisis. He had peace in it. And finally, the cross. I'm going to suffer, bleed, and die. I'm going to become sin. Those were the thoughts, no doubt, on his mind. At all times, in all places, under all circumstances, Christ reposed in his Father's good and acceptable and perfect will. And when Jesus appeared in the upper room on the resurrection evening, after it was all said and done, his greeting to the disciples in John 20 and verse 19 was this. Peace. And when you and I go to the upper room, guess what he says to us? Peace. It's okay. I've got this. Now rest in me. This is the peace of God. We can stand fast in his peace while the world is falling apart. You and I can have peace while troubles encircle us, we can have peace. Well, you're under such pressure and stress, and you can't take it anymore. The trials and afflictions are too great. You can go to Jesus and gain peace. 
It's surpassing peace. It doesn't make sense. It's beyond all human comprehension and human understanding. It's sheltering peace. It will protect your heart and mind, and it's supplying peace. It is available. It is abundant to you at any moment, at any time, if you come to Jesus. Stand fast in peace. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.